I feel like there's a generation that is incredibly conscious of what they do, what they put in their mouth, how they interact with each other, but they feel powerless to, to make the change in the world that they want to see. And so I think that this has been hope. G'day, humans of agriculture. Welcome to another week. Can't believe this one is episode 12. Thank you so much to everyone who's reaching out with questions. As always, what we do, we're putting our podcast guests up in advance. So if you've got any questions, please send them through. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and welcome to episode 12 of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I wanted to release this episode straight away. I really couldn't hold myself back, but I did. Today's guest is George Abidi, CEO of Buller Park, Australia's largest organic mushroom farm. And traditionally, you'd say she's fairly new to agriculture. But agriculture touches every aspect of our life. And George is no stranger to the food and drink space. At just the age of 20, Georgia launched her first business, Lupe Wines. Inspired by the inability to get a glass of wine at a music festival in Melbourne, her epiphany came quite a few years later. After building a successful business, every dollar she made she was putting a plastic cup into the world. In her own words, it was the dumbest business for someone my age. I knew better. Her resume includes CEO of realestate.com's new venture, Spacely, CEO of Startup Victoria, board member for Second Bite, board member for Rowing Australia. She's a woman of influence and boy oh boy are we lucky to have her in agriculture. This chat's an absolute cracker. It's a mix of life advice and a solid dose of reality. It's applicable to absolutely anyone, talking about finding your purpose and where you want to have an impact. There's a number of quotes I love in this. No one is you, and no one knows how to do something the way you do. Use it to your advantage. Georgia talks about creating your own velocity and using it to have a real impact aligned with your purpose. I can't wait for you to hear this chat. The humans of agriculture have a voice, and this one is an absolute rock star. Welcome to the Humans of Ag podcast, Georgie. Ollie, thank you very much for having me. Great to be here. I suppose just starting off and just around the world we live in now with COVID, and I don't want to dread on it too much, but have you picked up any interesting new skills or hobbies while you've been in isolation? Oh, I mean, isolation doesn't exist if you're in primary industry. I have had, I've actually managed to work from home. We say I may have been at the farm sort of six or seven days a week. I've managed to get in maybe three days a week working from home. So that's, I've had a lot more balance in my life. Um, I actually, no, I wouldn't say balance because it's just been a lot more home time. So for me, it's been playing catch up. On, um, on rest. My average um, sleep hours have gone up by about three hours, which is great. I'm now in like almost like eight or nine hours, That's which is phenomenal for me. <laughs> so I'm feeling pretty healthy, really, really mentally um, sharp. And I think in, in times like these, every CEO needs to be super super sharp so that they can have rapid responses and I've just had a, a little exercise of one of those this morning actually um, which I'm sure we'll go into later. Lovely yeah I'll make a note of that. 
I suppose that's, that's one thing that I really wanted to know. Are you a person who's constantly in a rush or how do you balance things? <laughs> um, I would say I probably, um, yeah, I've got, I've, I've got um, like a, a certain velocity or, or cadence. Um, I'm super efficient and I do things quite quickly and if I'm not in that mode where I am getting it done with flow, like say a particular um, top thing that I'm working on at work, then um, then I will switch topics. And so that's the that's the thing. So I, um, yeah, I'm either sort of rowing or in meetings or sort of belting things out. But um, I guess there's a there's a time and a place for everything. And um, rather than getting caught and frustrated because you haven't got a velocity, I just I switch tasks, but long that's a long answer to, yeah, I think I'm probably <laughs> always in a rush, Shelley. <laughs> I find that interesting because it's something that as I was doing a bit of research on you and I listened to the Humans of Purpose podcast, but you, I think there was a mention there that you were saying you're a, a, quite a high level thinker. And so when it actually comes to getting down into the nitty gritty, are you not as much of a fan of that? Into detail, um, I, I am not great in the detail because I do tend to get bored when it becomes repetitive. <laughs> but I need to, I need, to, <laughs> I need to go into the detail um, in order to create the detail to then pass it on to a kicker, COO, or any of my um, key managers and and team members. So, I call out my weaknesses really. Um, quickly um, so that I've got the people around me that are much better um, than me in those areas. So, um, no, I, like I, I can go there, but it's probably not the best use of my brain, but every business needs a CEO to be able to go into the detail. You, you can't just purely be high level and sort of visionary and, and purely on the, on the strategy um, because unfortunately in times like this, um, when, when, the, the sort of the tides change you've you've really got to just understand something thoroughly yourself and not necessarily um listen or, well or i mean you take in multiple perspectives but i think it's always good just to, to understand things in the detail yourself can i say that is <laughs> so reassuring for me because that's one thing i find that i'm very much a daydreamer and a big picture thinker and Today, in my current job, I'm very much having to do nitty-gritty business analyst stuff. And that it is something that I'm actually getting a, a massive appreciation for because, yeah, it's so important. But at the same time, too, I don't want to spend too much time really down in the trenches because I think, yeah, particularly with ag and, and whatnot, there's just so many opportunities with the blue sky thinking. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really, it's like a, it's a muscle and you've got to keep it fit. Um, being able to go into the detail and really concentrate. Um, and so it's, re it's really good experience for you to do that. And also go and hang around with other people that are really good in going into long um, time frames of concentration. Um, and where I do like meditative practice, I also practice having zero distractions and being able to do something um, really thoroughly, like in, in rowing, we have um, so I, I row as a um, as a hobby, um, and a lot translates, and we can sort of go into that. I've actually just joined the Rowing Australia board, so there's a lot of translation with sort of high performance sport and 
high performance um, sort of work. Um, but if, if, if you measure everything under these seven minute in increments um, and, and making sure you're constantly pushing yourself and constantly improving, um, you can sort of do the same thing with, um, with concentration. And it's almost a game because now you can, it's so easy to distract yourself whether you want to just sort of go and daydream or go onto Instagram or Twitter or the news. It's almost like a, um, it, it, it's a game to, to change your brain to stay in these long strains of, um, of concentration. So I think what you're doing is really good. Interesting. Okay. So what is it? You said seven minute like stints. Is that like, is that a rowing terminology that has flown on from that or where does that come from? Um, no, it's um, say a, a race, like a 2K race can be seven to eight minutes. And and then within in that race, it's it's broken up into smaller bits. But um, I guess um, yeah. So think that the common distance is two kilometres. So you can use that as a as a benchmark to see how was that two k versus the next two k. Um, and but I guess it's just bite sized chunks. And it's also something if you have having a shit one, you can sort of go okay that. That last seven minutes wasn't my best, so okay, this one's going to be better than that one. Do you know what I mean? You can break it up rather than writing something off completely. Yeah, for sure. No, that's good. <laughs> I think as well at the moment, like people just feel, yeah, I suppose naturally, like we we're talking about it at work where it's all about outputs, but you still have that tendency where it's an eight-hour, nine-hour workday, and you feel like if you're not at your computer, you're not productive. But sometimes the best thing to do is get away and then come back. So I'll have a reset. Completely, and that, I mean that's that is a bit of a a bit of a myth. Like you've you've got to get into what habitually is good for you to get the most out of your unique brain and whatever you know, whatever the, the things are that get you um, concentrated. Um, but it is a bit of a baby boomer thing to sit to. Like you've got to be at your desk to be doing work. So our generation's kind of. Fight, fighting that a little bit so you can yeah. break it up go work in a cafe for an hour and then come back and that was an hour of power on a presentation or something and it's exactly the creative energy you needed in that space to be able to do that particular type of work for example yeah for sure now i'm 100 in agreement to that because i took the short opportunities we get to get sunlight and i was just sitting in the park before working so now i want to touch on so what's what's happened today what's the rapid response that and yeah. uh, <laughs> Well, um, so we're, oh, we're like we start early, right? So we're, um, we start at six. Um, so you may have read in the news that um, there was a school that was shut down today. I'll try and make things as anonymous as possible. Um, no, that's right. And so there was a, a school that had a, a, um, a positive um, COVID test. So anything that happens in, in the news, regardless of how far away it is, we have a look at, are there any chinks in the chain that could have made it into our business? Um, and um, so there's a, a, a distant but still um, uh, potential threat to the business. So we've, we've isolated a few people. Um, they'll, they'll stay isolated 14 days, do a test at the end of the 14 days, and then they'll be back in the business. Um, but we, in February... Um, we put in place um, masks, gloves, um, even coats and uh, a staggered workforce and a segmented workforce so that there's no, no greater than um, teams of four 
So we've been constantly iterating our policy and our staff have just been absolute legends when it comes to um, making the changes. So one day they're allowed in a certain area and, you know, this is one team's walkway and then we have to change it so that if we have to sort of split something off or something's not as safe or whatever it is, um, they've been so good at going, yep, okay, this is what I'm doing today rather than, you know, kicking up with all of the change, which can be just incredibly challenging. Um, so instead they've been just fantastic. And I think that our, um, and the, the, the feedback is obviously I'm, I'm big into 360 degree feedback. So we're sort of getting data on our culture and things, but the feedback has been that they feel safer um, because we are being so proactive to protect our employees. So yeah, wow. that was, that was, that was the morning. Far <laughs> out. Right. And so, because you guys are Australia's large, that's with Buller Park, Australia's largest organic mushroom Correct. farm. Yeah, we are. So it's a 30-year-old farm. One of the first mushroom farms in Australia, actually. So it's got this fantastic history in, um, in Diggers Rest. So just behind the airport, there's sort of 40 minutes out of town. And um, yeah, so the, the largest organic suppliers, we supply to Coles, Woolworths, um, Costco, lots of um, fantastic wholesalers. Um, all the small grocers, all our orga kick-ass organic um, grocers that are so passionate about what they do. That's sort of the, really the, the bigger part of our business is, is those passionate people that believe about, about, you know, what's the triple bottom line of a, of a business and its ultimate, ultimate um, sort of impact. So, um, so, yeah, so that sort of we've got, you know, fortunately we've got quite a diverse um, customer base and, I mean, that's been designed so um, that if something like what we've seen happens where um, these poor restaurants and cafes have had to close down, um, we go, okay, what percentage of that is of our business? It's 20%. Okay, we have to go hunt down the customers. I mean, people are still eating. So where do we go find them? That's, um, if they're not going to their cafe now, uh, where are they going to purchase food? So we need to, um, to, to go to that spot, basically. So everything's reverse engineered um, from a, I guess a user experience perspective um, to to drive sales. So, um, yeah, that's been the sort of the the critical um, sort of and and per the sort of the rapid um, conversation we had earlier um, in in response. And so, is that user design kind of business? It seems fairly new, like a fairly new model and application to a farming business. Is that something you've picked up with your background in startups? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the difference—the um, difference between an established thirty-year-old company versus a startup—is a startup has nothing, um, and so they've just got to go hunt and reverse engineer everything. And they might even be going into a new industry where they have to convince some people that their product is good. And so you go, okay, where are the people? What are we selling to them? Um, what do they want to hear? Where it will be just an absolute no-brainer for them to go. Yep. And then what price is it that will also be an no-brainer for them to give it a go? And then it, then it converts into customer success where you go, how do we get them again? Um, and so that whole, I mean, that's just sales 101, to be honest. Um, and, um, and also probably but when you're in a startup, you can't afford to have um, the best in sales, the best CFO, the best CEO and, um, you know, so forth and, you know, same for, for ops. Um, you've got to just go and do it yourself and, and, and learn how to do it yourself. And so that, um, 
I can sort of high level um, work out the structure and the um, what are the key metrics for these areas, say for sales, for example, um, to be able to to coach someone in in that space. So um, it is a little bit of um, my background, but there's also just no excuse not to be um, good. And I'm not good, but I'm better than I was last year. Um, but because you're you're um, everything's on the internet and there's so much content to go through and to go and learn. Um, there's a, there's a lot of um, sales um, tips and tricks and coaching and all sorts of things as well. So um, yeah, so it's, it's part my background um, where you've got nothing. So go and hunt a customer down and also just constant commitment to learning um, and, and, and content and new theories of doing things. Yeah. And so this role is relatively new for you as well. Um, it, have you built a team around you or did you come into an existing team and kind of bring a new mindset to it? Um, it's, um, yeah, I mean, that sentence alone is a really interesting one because, um, I mean, there's lots of different theories. So I'm, I'm new to the, the business and um, I've definitely got a new way of thinking. Um, I, I think it can be a big mistake to go into a business and think you need to, you, you've got to dramatically change it. Um, but so you've got to sort of observe. And I spent a good six months of observing um, right the way down from the directors to um, contractors that we, we get into the business, which there aren't many, but, you know, right, right the way through from sort of managers and um, key team leaders and our, our products and things. So the um, that's been a, um, uh, like a, a very considered and data-driven um, sort of strategy where I've, I've really had to, had to learn the business because sure I've got experience, commercial experience in a few different industries but um, I needed to test whether they actually applied to agriculture um, and what, what are other people doing and why aren't they being a sort of um, tech-led or innovation-led um, and what what's the sort of natural cadence of agriculture um and in reality what sort of people can our business um, afford now it'll be very different in in five years when i've done a, a complete um turnaround or already there's been a significant difference in 12 months but we've sort of got to be um very realistic with the tools we've got and that's the same say with startups you've only got a certain amount of cash in the bank so what how can you get bang for buck um, and so we, um, our business has got a, a really diverse range of, of people um, where, you know, any business that's um, very sort of labour oriented um, and physical in nature is, attracts a certain type of person. And, and we've got this sort of um, wide, um, wide range within that, um, within that skill set. And so um, we've got Australians that have lived in the area and they just, they love being in agriculture. Um, and uh, sort of multi-generational Australians. And then you've got new Australians and they've got these, you know, IT master degrees and they're new to Australia and this is their launching pad into, um, into the, the country. And so they're just giving it an absolute belting. Um, and so it's a great combination for, for me to work with and, um, and to be coaching um, these different types of people. And then at the same time, um, we can't, we probably can't properly afford yet um, the people that I'll sort of bring in that's sort of going to be in the next probably 12 months. Um, 
And so now it's about creating fitness with our existing team um, and um, and then having it, I mean, yeah, setting the, the sort of, we can talk about how we scale the business, but in terms of that first initial um, stepping in, do you just bring your own team and dramatically um, change a business? Um, I've got a, um, a very different way of thinking, um, but it was important for me to go slowly to go fast um, and so making sure that everyone's coming along on the journey with me and it's almost like this the, the test of COVID was a, was a bit of a reset because there was some hard times last year because we had we did have to make some hard calls that the business needed um, in order to, to grow and um, you know get much bigger than it is and so that was that change for, for people that have, we had, you know, staff that have, have been with the company and, you know, and still are for 25 years and they're seeing these, these changes in management um, and that can be a bit scary, um, but it was when they've sort of, things have rolled in with COVID this year, they go, ah, okay, I, I get it. Because if we had the previous management, we would have probably responded in a completely different way. And so, um, uh, yeah, so everything sort of, reassuring and um we're able to prove ourselves now both financially um and both on a from a quality perspective and the, the product we've got in market um as well as from a um yeah sort of a global sort of management level um so yeah so it's just been a a, a process and we're 12 months in and so now i get to do the fun stuff um it's sort of the first 12 months in a in a business is always the 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 tricky and you sort of you've got to be bad cop for a little while um because you're the one that has the the fresh eyes um you can see exactly what the potential of the business is um you know you, i mean my my first the first thing i do is have a look does it have good bones so is it is it in a good industry does it have good ed assets and has it got a competitive um, edge that we can scale and um and so that's the the first call when i'm having a look at to do a turnaround on that yeah leads me to to asking else but it's interesting isn't it particularly around ag businesses but when you start to look at kind of vertically integrated businesses and and i worked in an asparagus uh business a couple of years ago but you've got that oh. like you're saying the multi-generation you've got a massive diversity in cultural beliefs and behaviors and practices and, and, and that sort of thing yeah is there like a there's no playbook but is there something that you find that it it was related to your upbringing, for instance, that when it comes to balancing cultural and diversity and culture within a business and to drive them towards the, the direction you want to take that business in when you're new, is there something there that, yeah, in your makeup that allows you to balance that? Um, I, I would say it's a combination of, I, um, it's my sort of, age not that i'm old i'm 34 this year but i've had i started my first business when i was 20 so i've, I've had a, a bit of like a quite a bit of commercial time being at the sort of the pointy end so as in everything's your fault so you, you learn quickly when when you're in that position but equally as my my commercial experience is my um my personal growth and so i do a lot of um a lot of of checking in and a lot of work on my own personal development um, and having a look at what um, what things are holding me back from from you know anything from insecurities to not being able to 
read a, a personality. Um, you've got to be so present to be able to see, um, to really see someone, particularly when you're employing staff, which is so critical. You you want to you want to feel them and you want to sort of see them, and and, ha- and what are they showing you? And so there's all of all of those things, and it's a, a bit of a combination between commitment to to my personal development, but then also leveraging experience. But I tell you what, when I um, started my first business, um, I would I was completely in the dark. Um, and, 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 and unable to, in a really grounded way, um, make these decisions on, um, on really complex, um, multifaceted um, problems like culture. Um, it's, there's, there's so much at play. So, I, um, you know, I still have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but <laughs> there's, 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 a, there's a little bit there that I'm, I'm, I'm starting to clue on to. Um, and I've got some fantastic mentors as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely the, um, it, the, the commitment to my own growth and from my own experience. Sometimes I can see things that I've been through in the past that I can see in, in other people. Um, and, um, and obviously it's important to validate things. So rather than just creating a narrative in your own head, actually sort of throwing some bait out to see whether that it is what that person what's going on for that um, business problem or personal or, um, or product problem, whatever, whatever it might be. So yeah, yeah for sure. long answer to it's, um, it's, it's just, it's learning on, you know, with anything you can grab your hands um, onto. And it seems like a bit of it as well as just being a human in a, in a job. Like I just find there just seems to be this and, and I'm guessing things are changing, but there's a tendency for like it's, this business mindset first and people I think forget at the end of the day, like, and particularly recently during COVID there's humans behind it. And it's like, yes, it can be the business growth has to, is very important in the economic side, but that social aspect, whether it's the social aspect of your staff, but also how the business is actually engaging with the community and what you're doing in the bigger picture, which has a massive amount of importance. Absolutely. I couldn't, couldn't agree more with you there. Um, it's the people in your business, but also that you can't you can't do business or or create a, a commercial product and um, and it, that not to be a personality as well. In that, are you treating your animals as your customers think you are, or are you doing the absolute best by them for the planet and for that you know that that person in that animal body and or or um, on a you know sustainable level for whether you're growing vegetables or whatever it might be, so everything is totally about the this 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 personality behind it. So I couldn't agree more with you there. And so that's something that I've been pondering a lot of. I nearly wanted to post it on LinkedIn, but I'm not sure if I should. Do you think, given do it, Ollie? <laughs> okay, good advice. Do you, do you think, given the coronavirus, obviously has it's shattering economies. It's having such a flow-on effect that we'll see mm. for a very long time. Coming out of this, do you think like these bigger corporates and businesses, is the management drive and decision-making going to be economically focused on, I suppose, personal gains of actually getting back into an economic sustainable level for themselves and for the business? Or do you think we're going to see an opportunity where we're, where the learnings out of this things like in India, where they can actually see the Himalayas for the first time in 40 years. 
we can actually take a step back and see the bigger picture of the food system as it is now and this economic mindset maybe isn't working yeah well, I'm, um i mean this is like the crystal ball or whatever that analogy is on sort of being able to see the future um my opinion is that i i feel like there's a generation that what had is incredibly conscious of what they do, what they put in their mouth, how they interact with each other, but they feel powerless to to make the change in the world that they want to see. And so, I think that this has been hope for them. They've seen they've seen the world change for the better. And it sure it might be momentary, and it, and things might go back to normal in, in September or whatever it might be. But there's been this little bit of hope, and that's what I. It's, it's, I mean, it's one of the reasons I want to do this podcast is getting the world out there that it, like be the change that you want to see in the world. And I think that there's um, not everyone's going to change after this. Some, you know, there are people that, that don't want to change. And I think that's completely fair enough. And, um, and there's people that don't want to be entrepreneurial and they, they might not want to do the hard thing, but that there needs to be people doing that more people doing the hard thing and that's on a it's def, it's on a political front it's on a business front and it's it's on an, an agricultural front we've we've you know on, on a food level i'm incredibly passionate about it um but creating good food this is the time and i, I think that um amongst a, a really difficult challenging time i i honestly think that there's um been a, a spark of of hope for for some people yeah, for sure. It's it's such an interesting one too, isn't it? Because there there obviously is this millennial generation which we're both part of, superstars. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm Gen. No, I'm Gen Y, man. I'm older than you. <laughs> oh, am I a millennial though? Yeah, millennials. Are, yeah, millennials are Gen Ys. I think. Okay. Have you ever received advice, or do you have advice to people who see an opportunity and it's a socially driven thing? Um, mm-hmm. For instance, in agriculture there is a need to speak up and engage with people in the city and also in the country. But a lot of people in agriculture aren't willing to step out of their kind of comfort zone or out of their line because there's this fear of being shot down in Australia. Do you have a piece of advice for, for what the industry or what people in industry actually need to do and kind of taking that step to speak openly about something you feel passionate about? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a... I think it's a challenging. Um, uh, I think it's a challenge in itself to ask someone that isn't naturally comfortable to get up on a platform, and really put themselves out there. Um, but um, some people have to. I'm willing to do it. You run this podcast, so clearly you're a, a big part of this ecosystem that's starting to to speak out. Um, I think as we get a little bit more velocity, there'll be a herd mentality where it's safe to do so. Um, but in in it's always so much stronger when you're walking the talk. And so, sure you can you can get up and and say something because there's still there's a lot of talk about the change that people want to see, but are they actually doing it and are they scaling it and getting the right people behind them and the right partners and things to make sure it's scaled effectively and efficiently. So I think it's always a, a good thing to um, have this um, this big base underneath you when you're um, on a platform and, and speaking publicly 
which is I'm walking the talk, look at what I'm doing and, and be data driven because people, they can't argue if you've changed something on your farm and it's working. And what, what I want to say is there's, you know, as, as millennials start getting into leadership positions and they go, no, I don't want to do, um, I don't want to put that chemical on our, on our soil. It's killing the mycelial base in its soil and it's, it's, it's ruining our entire ecosystem here. I want to do something else. And so they try something else and it works and then they try it again and it works. And then they've suddenly got this, this data to go, no, this, this works. We actually don't need to do it the, the old way. And so that's the moment where they, you need to be loud. You're, you're not allowed to keep that to yourself. You've got to show other people how they can do it better. And it's part of this. I mean, it's leadership, but it's coaching, but it's also just, it's just sharing and being sort of, heart driven in in business i feel like that our hearts have been ripped out of commerciality um where they don't it doesn't need to be and actually agriculture it, it can't because um you know you're not just sitting behind a computer and sending emails it's blood sweat and tears out there and very physical um so i think that you know have a a, a really thorough data driven um, uh, base behind whatever your opinion is um, and you'll find that when, when it's thorough people see it and they go oh that makes sense and I love that and I'm behind you and I'm, I'm supporting you how can I help and it's that thing of just showing people how they can help you um, but there still is that you know you've got to, it's that it's that brave step and you've got to take that that step um, and you know some of the work you're doing is um, is exactly that, and encouraging people. And if I, if anyone listening to this, if if I can um, help you make that step, um, and 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 coach you, or make you feel better about anything you're doing, and, and help you, um, I'm absolutely available to that. That that ask, I've got all the time in the world for. So impact obviously has a massive massive influence on what you want to do what is well, yeah what do you want to get out of what you're doing now but i suppose in the broader scheme of things you're doing a lot with other boards as well what is the the impact yeah. that you want to have on on yourself and industry society i guess um i mean the the premise or the sort of um the, the history of me being here today is I've, I've made a really conscious decision to go into to food and not to just go into the marketing of food and buy, buy a product, change it and turn it into something else and charge twice the price. It, it's thoroughly understanding where food comes from, how, how it happens and what's it, what is its impact on our, on our soil and our ecosystem. Um, you know, I started from a, you know, really naive and environmentally ignorant place and I studied entrepreneurship over the state over in the states in, in Boston and I came back and I was at a music festival and um they I you know lined up in the bar and they they couldn't serve me a glass of wine and when I asked them why they said oh we can't serve um glass outdoors so you can only drink beer or spirits and so with in my sort of entrepreneurial spirit thought oh I'm going to make a single serve glass of wine and so I put all of my energy into creating this manufacturing line and I raised venture capital and so we were, we were selling these wine glasses at all the festivals and all the AS, all the all the stadiums around Australia and then suddenly I'm expanding into Japan and Korea and Taiwan and and China and it's going really well and all the airlines and the hotel minibars and um you know 
fantastic, you know, entrepreneurial story. But every dollar I made, I'm putting a plastic glass out into the world. Um, it's like it's the, the dumbest business from someone my age. You know, it's just not good enough. Our generation knows better. And so it was it was a proper check in. Of course, after it's too late and I've you know got this business um, and I, I generally learn things the, the hard way. You'll learn this about me, Ollie. So <laughs> I um, <laughs> but so, you know, that was a, just a huge and, and, and shocking and upsetting check in for me where I go, what what have I done? Um, and so, um, and so after I, I sold that business, I, um, we invested in different, um, cornstarches and, and different products to replace plastic. Even, even then the whole, like I had this, the proper check-in was when I followed, I was underneath the, the MCG and I, um, was doing my, my own research on, on following exactly the, uh, where our plastic wine glasses, um, went through in the, in their life cycle. So, Everyone was drinking at the AFL. Um, they went downstairs. We had bins there that were out just for our glasses. They were, you know, PET recycling um, bins. Took I, I followed that bin to the um, to the recycling plant, and the recycling plant had something go wrong with it, and they said no, not today, to that truck, and pointed in another direction, and it was going straight into landfill. So even if you, you know, there's it says. PET recyclable plastic, you know, it's like, but is it being recycled? And even if it is being recycled, is that plastic good for you? And what's it being recycled into? And anyway, there's a million other questions from from there. But it's just it's just bad news, basically, as far as I'm I'm concerned. So um so yeah, that was this this, this conscious awakening for me. And um the, the good thing of, of that story was that I, I learned how to back myself. I learned that I actually am quite good at business um, and telling a, telling a story and leading people, but it needs to be done in, in, a, in a conscious way um, and be a, ultimately a good product. So if I died tomorrow, would I be happy about what I've left behind? Back then, no. Um, now, probably no, but soon there'll be a <laughs> kick-ass, ridiculously regenerative um business um that i i will have um that i will have built but i guess um back to your your question i've, I've come in super super consciously and my my vision for for food is for it to be a hundred percent good and so when you when you pick up a, a product um whether it's in the fresh food section or in the in the ambient is that there's not this contrast between here's the way I live my life and I'm buying a product and then there's this completely different way that that farm is run that's that's contradictory to the way I live my life. I want things to be the same and I want it to be really clear on the shelves that that business is running itself exactly the way I run my house and the rest of my life. So they treat their animals well, their, their soil is, is thought after and it was, it is, and their practices are regenerative. They're not using poisons and all sorts of other things. Um, um, you know, at, at the moment we rely on the law to tell us whether something's good or bad for us. Um, you know, we need to just start visiting farms and we need to go and do the research ourselves. Are you happy about the products that are being sprayed? on on your food or whatever it might be and, and some people just are and that's fine go buy those products that those products are for you but yeah. for those that aren't like 
look at everything you put in your mouth today, write it down and go, where did it come from? Okay, that's interesting that it's not in Australia. How do I feel about that? Um, and it, both answers are, are, are okay. Um, it's not a right or wrong there. Um, and then if it is in another country, you know, what's going on in that farm? And if it is here, go and have a look at that farm or meet those people and, and really understand, you know, for every dollar you give at the, the supermarket or your local grocer, is it a dollar for good? Do, are they, are they, do they believe in um, the same vision of the world as you? And so that's, the, that's really the, the premise of what 100% good is. Yeah, for sure. I've got, <laughs> you've given me a few ideas out of that. I've got one thing I was pondering, and I'm so glad you brought up the Laneway Festival thing. Do you reckon many people go to a festival and walk out of there with a business idea that leads them down the path of setting up kind of their impact <laughs> down the line? Um, Working might be on your I, own. I think that it, I think it could be a great place of inspiration. I don't think most. I think I don't think most people are at uni are dumb enough to go and execute on that dumb idea that they had at a festival necessarily. That that was me. <laughs> um, but I don't know. You're in music and you're within this force of humans all doing the same thing. So I think it could definitely be in, in conducive of of great ideas. Hard to think yeah, about being in a mosh pit again though. <laughs> but it's actually like I'm thinking back to some of my mates that I grew up with and when we start to look through the lens of food and you start to look at where, where people's values lie like the guys who are right into their surfing and their I suppose that beach culture and you start to look at plastics is kind of the, the easiest one to understand but when they're in the water and they've got a plastic bag floating by you, you walk on the beach and you actually start to see just how much shit there is that we are putting there and into the broader ecosystem like far out it food has to this is the, the such a cool part of it but food has to become the solution to addressing those issues it's not just a matter oh, of people going absolutely um i mean both from a yes you've got an out out of package issue so you know it's it's it, it is pretty ridiculous that both from it doesn't go into the bin and if it doesn't and you see it in the ocean it's like what the fuck but then also, you know, if it goes into the bin, what actually happens in the bin? Are we happy with that process? Um, but then also what you put into your body, like we're, a lot of the time we're poisoning ourselves. And it's like I've, I, I, there's food has changed so dramatically in the last 10 years in terms of shelf life alone. It's so going to be that, um, oh, we had all those smoking ads and doctors were saying smoking was good for you or whatever they used to say it's so going to be that conversation with some of the chemicals and things we put in, in food to make it last longer. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of the time we're sort of eating matter and like, it's just like, a, it's like putting yeah bad petrol in the car. Like our, our bodies can only process it for so long before that you start seeing health effects. And I'm not saying that my diet's perfect. I'm just conscious of it. Yeah, for sure. No, I've actually, that's what, so next week I'm catching up. Yeah, so I spoke with a dietitian, but it was more under the Indigenous and Native Foods lens with Hayley Blodden awesome. from Australian, oh, sorry, Australian Superfood Co. Next week I'm actually chatting that's with awesome. a nutritionist and that's the part I want to understand. Like we, we see all these trends and pieces happening and yes, like 
plant-based. Yeah, basically my view and basic understanding of it is, yes, our diet should be plant-based with different types of proteins on the side, whether, and that's where the animal proteins come in. But like we start to look at these trends of these alternative proteins and whatnot coming through, and we've, we've been brought up that we processing of foods is bad for you, but the alternatives that are now coming in from a, if you look at the contrast of a naturally grown piece of steak, which has come off grass fed with minimal processing. And then you look at these other pieces, which have 17 or 18 different ingredients imported from nine different countries with zero regulation on pesticides. Oh, yeah. It's just like, shit. But how is anyone like, meant to understand it? <laughs> if you can't understand the back of the label, if there's something on there that you can't understand, you're not allowed to eat it. Like, that's my role. And I mean, I don't want to become a scientist either. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I just, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you. It's sort of a, it might be a step in the, in the right direction, but at the same time, with with those um, some of those plant-based products, I mean, having a look at their impact on the earth as well is um, is a really important thing. I mean, it's really easy to say, don't eat, don't eat meat. Um, but and that seems to be a common um reason behind say like impossible foods um but if you go and have a look at some of the their inputs and what the impact of actually farming those inputs or or processing it is um you know a lot of the time they are worse so they're they're not 100 percent good either it's sort of marketing but it's, it's really interesting that silicon valley is i mean I, I don't know how much um impossible foods is raised now um but it's really interesting that, that Silicon Valley is really putting money in, into that space. It's sort of two steps forward, one step back, um, but at least sort of in the right direction. <laughs> no, it's so interesting. <laughs> I reckon we could keep talking for hours on this. So I'm going to ask one more question, I reckon, maybe. Mm -hmm. We'll see how we go. Is there someone who you've, you've modelled yourself or your career off, or is this just the Georgia Beatty show that just run it by the... Stitch on our pants and see where you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I um, no, un unfortunately, there isn't. There's lots of people that I um, look up to, um, but to be honest, it's not a hundred percent sort of business person or spiritual person or or family member. It's um, it's actually just me really aligning and listening to my heart and just really getting deep with me and what I want to do in the world. And the deeper I go there, the more powerful that is. And I just, I don't think anyone can be anyone else. And you can read as many business books and as many inspirational books as you, as you want, but no one is you and no one knows how to do something like you. Like everyone's got their sort of their special talent um, and they're like, I, I believe they're sort of purpose to, to be here. And it's not, it's definitely not linear on, on how to get there, but um, it's, there's, yeah, it's just this, this process of, of, of getting deeper with you in order to, um, to have a, a bigger impact on the world. And I feel like I, I do coach and, and sort of mentor um a, a few people and it, it's it's a really interesting thing if someone comes to me early days and um they've got this sort of idea off someone else and and a lot of the time we are imitating off what we 
perceive as being successful and the, um, the, the, the better way of doing something or the proven way of doing something. But it's really interesting that when you, when you dig down with them about, you know, what, what impact do they actually want to do on in, make in the world? Um, and when you start aligning their purpose with, with them, you know, physically, you're absolutely unstoppable. You're not learning to be someone else and trying to sort of imitate something. You are just being you and you have got like a ridiculous amount of velocity. Um, yeah, so as soon as you're, you're grounded and you're you and you're comfortable, um, you're just, you'll knock it out of the park. Now, I don't know if you're feeling the same way that I felt after that chat with Georgia, but I listened to it straight away again and then I started writing some notes down. I just find her so bloody inspiring and she's just so down to earth with how she approaches it. You can get in touch with Georgia via Twitter at GBeady. You can find Buller Park at bullerpark.com or you can get in touch or find out more about Georgia via her website, georgiabeatty.com. Alternatively, if you want to track her down, you can head over to the Humans of Agriculture Instagram at humansofagriculture underscore. You can check out our pretty fresh new website, humansofagriculture.com, or reach out and get in touch with me, Ollie, O-L-I, at humansofagriculture.com. We're always looking for more stories to share and more people to talk to, so everyone's got a story, please reach out. If you'd like to find out a bit more about what we've got in the pipeline as well, or opportunities to jump on for the ride and see where we're going, please get in touch as well. I'd love to chat with you. Look after yourselves and we'll see you next week.